0: Welcome to Silverbacks Valley, a podcast brought to you by Silverbacks Holdings. Today in the Valley with Ibrahim Sanya is a champion of Black voices and Black ventures. At age 25, he founded Trace Magazine, featuring iconic figures of hip-hop and R&B, including Snoop Dogg, Alicia Keys, and Diddy. He then launched his own content marketing agency, True, servicing top-tier companies out of London and New York. In 2015, he returned to the media business with True Africa, a digital media platform championing young African voices. Going from founder to investor, he launched the Equity Alliance alongside key partners such as Ronald Lauder and Richard Parsons. The Equity Alliance is an investment fund dedicated to providing capital and education to venture capital firms and new enterprises founded or managed by women and people of color. Today, the Valley welcomes Claude Granitsky.
1: Welcome to Silverbacks Valley. I'm your host today, and my name is Ibrahim Sanya. Today's episode is sponsored by AFCA. AFCA, the African Private Capital Association, is the nexus of private capital in the continent. It champions and enables private capital investment all across the continent as the Pan-African industry body AFCA plays a significant role as an effective change agent for the industry and acts as the trusted independent source of information, insight, and intelligence, inspiring investors' confidence, making the case for both commercial returns and impact for private capital in Africa. AFCA represents a community of capital allocators, investors, fund managers advisors entrepreneurs and professional service providers committed to our shared vision of a prosperous africa that is sustainable inclusive and innovative we at silverbacks valley are big fans claude such a pleasure to be here it's lovely office in new you. york city yeah so see you here so to have you here with us in your premises is as just a delight it's really a true pleasure to be with you again same here my brother so equity alliance tell us everything
2: yeah equity alliance is after such a great start it's a venture capital fund Mm. that i started with my longtime mentor dick parsons Mm. and dick is one of the most successful corporate executives ever in America. He was the head of Time Warner. He was the head of Citigroup, Rockefeller Foundation. But he's been mentoring me for about 15 years. Mm. And then two years ago, he called me and said, well, let's start a fund. Mm. And let's start a fund with a specific focus, which is investing in women and people of color who mm. are either venture capital fund managers or founders, mm. you know, early stage ventures. And and we're off to a great start because we feel like sky's the limit.
1: Wow. No, that is phenomenal. And clearly, I know that that is one of your passion is running this fund. But I know you're doing also something else for the diaspora.
2: Absolutely. So Equity Alliance is my day job and it's really what I've been focusing on. But for the past eight years, actually, I've been running a new media company called True Africa. A lot of people know me for the work I was doing in my twenties and thirties with trays, but I launched True Africa as a media platform to champion young African voices all over the world. And when I say young African voices all over the world, I mean people living in Africa, people living in the African diaspora, in Europe, in the Americas, everywhere, but also Afro descendants here in, um, in in the US. And what we've been able to find is through music, film, fashion, art, and technology, we've started telling these stories about young Africans who are innovating. And right now, now we're very much focused on a podcast platform called limitless africa mm-hmm. and we've also started producing documentaries the one that we produced that a lot of people noticed a couple of years ago was the great green wall right? okay, that was a, yeah so we amazing. did that and we were cool. extremely happy with the results and we actually almost done with our second documentary also on sustainability and it's called blue carbon
1: Whoa. wow wow no, this is this is amazing so we all accustomed to seeing the actor Trying to become a rapper, the basketball player, trying to be an actor. But you have gone from journalism, entertainment with trace, and now venture capital and maybe climate finance, from what I hear. what is the trigger of all of this? Obviously, your mentor, with the media, the banking, and the lawyer, chose that uh, behavior. but how do you migrate in such? different territories.
2: Well, you're right about that. My mentor, Dick Parsons, is the one who got me into venture capital, even though I've been making angel investments in a bunch of African companies and early stage uh, ventures for a while. But this evolution actually came from a realization. When I was in my early 20s, I started Trace because I really wanted to tell more positive stories about Black people and about people of color, because I really felt that The way we were representing the media was very negative. Mm. And I also felt that it was a lot of non-Africans and non-Black people telling stories that are related to our lifestyles and our ambitions. Mm. And so I thought media was everything and that the image was everything. Mm. But as I became older and wiser, I realized that it's really about capital and access to capital. And what we're going to do with the equity lines to help to democratize access to capital by providing people with more capital, which leads to more opportunity because funding has held so many people back they have not been able to launch new ventures or to grow their ventures just because they haven't had access to capital. Mm. So the battle is no longer just about media and image and the African narrative. It's also about how do we create sustainable companies? How do we create more African unicorns? How do we create more companies that are led by women and people of color? Because in the U.S., what's happening is 98% of all the venture capital dollars go to white men, and we feel like it's time to
1: change that. Um, that trajectory. Mm. Phenomenal. Now, in terms of actual transaction that you are most proud about and that uh, represent what you aim to demonstrate by your platform, is there anyone... Any transaction you can speak of?
2: There's a few transactions that I can speak of because we've actually made 26 investments since we started a little bit less than two years ago. But there is one actually investment that is really outperforming right now. And it's our investment at Isuzu. Um, is Isuzu. And SUSU, you have heard of it, right?
1: Great, super company. Yeah,
2: it's a great company. And we invested in their A round when they had a $65 million post-money valuation. At that time, they were only raising $15 million, And then six months later, they raised $130 million at a $1 billion valuation. Oh, wow. And Talk it was about great perfect about timing. That. Yeah, <laughs> it was perfect timing, you know, to get such a huge increase in valuation in six months. But it's more about what the problem they're trying to solve. Mm. Asusu is focused on a very, very specific problem in fintech and financial inclusion, which is they're allowing mm. renters to report their on-time rent payments in order to get the credit bureaus to take them seriously so that these Mm. renters can become owners. Mm. And once you become an owner, you can be free, you can have more equity, and you can actually start investing more. And so that's a beautiful business model. And what was even more exciting was the fact that it was launched by two entrepreneurs in their early 30s They came to the US as immigrants. Mm. One of them was a Nigerian American Mm. um, immigrant. Um, Another one is an Indian American, former immigrant. They're both American citizens now, but they came to the US when they were young men trying to find a better future. If I may, is that it's not just returns, right, of Mm. investing in a billion dollar company that could become a $5 billion company given the huge deals that they have with the American government. But it's also the the impact aspect of it as well. You know, mm-hmm. they're helping millions of young Americans get on the property ladder. People who could never afford to buy a house before because they didn't have any credit, credit history, history, even though they've been paying their rent on time. So it's a very
1: very simple idea, but they've executed in a masterful way. No, no, no. I'm I'm fully with you. One thing though, I I observe, and I don't know if you've observed the same, is that. Uh all these stories of unicorns are always in Anglophone territory. I mean, across the last five years, all the unicorns that we've watched, Yahoo, etc, etc. So strangely enough, there's been 20 to 25 years of acceleration of tech. But throughout the acceleration, we've been systematically the unicorn in many other geographies the one unicorn that exists in francophone africa it's called wave it's a company created by two american americans yeah so i'm curious to hear from you very similar to me francophone origin yet today we've pretty much in anglophone markets it's easier we're getting a lot more done why do you think that is? And is there a way to see a change? What do you think is needed to change the outlook?
2: Well, I really try to say objective mm-hmm. when I get asked questions like that because this is something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. Mm-hmm. Here I am, I'm a boy from Lome. I was raised as a Francophone, yet my entire career has been in the English-speaking world. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, having really spent my entire adult life as an entrepreneur, as an investor, looking at markets across the world and really delineating between the francophone and Anglophone markets in Africa, starting these you know incubators and, and accelerators and young entrepreneur programs in French-speaking and English-speaking countries. I feel like it's a mindset issue and I believe that a lot of the francophones just don't have that entrepreneurial mindset. Mm-hmm. And when they do, they tend not to think big because they're just looking for uh, a solution that will basically service a really small market. But when it comes to scaling, they don't have the ambition or the tools for scaling. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that because mm-hmm. I feel like it's also inherited from the French mentality itself, mm-hmm. which is very much a bureaucratic mentality that does not favor risk taking. Mm-hmm. And that does not reward people who've learned from their failures. Mm. And that's something I've noticed. In my own country, Togo, I set up a young entrepreneur's program 10 years ago. Mm. And I've seen 10 years, thousands of entrepreneurs coming out of that network that I've built from the ground up. And I see their level of ambition. And I go across the border to Ghana and I compare with the Ghanaian's level of ambition, which is on a totally different level. And I believe that it's because of the way we've been educated as Francophones. Mm-hmm. it still, is kind of um, carrying the stigma of not really looking to achieve anything really big in the business environment. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's because there haven't been too many role models. Mm-hmm. And so it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing because we haven't had too many success stories in the previous 10 ways that we can learn from. Mm-hmm. We end up um, replicating some of the some of the same uh, mistakes that were made by previous generations mm. and that's really unfortunate because in my own country Togo we had a tradition of very astute and very successful business women back in the 1960s and 70s uh, up into the early 80s mm-hmm. these women were called the Nana Bans yes. remember they were the richest yes, women in West yes. Africa they were driving around in Mercedes vans they had their chauffeurs many of them could not read but they sure could count yes. and they were able to build businesses but unfortunately, their daughters, the ones that end up taking over their companies, many of them failed because they went to study in France. Mm-hmm. And then they end up adopting some of the really bad habits of the francophone. And when they came back, their mother's empire was crumbled. And this is something that I noticed when I saw them. These are women from my generation that I grew up with. Wow. And that really taught me a lot, which is why I've chosen to only work in anglophone environments, which is why I started my career in London. I came to New York, and the more successful
1: projects that I've launched in Africa have been in English-speaking countries. Wow. So I'm um, um, pleased to see that I'm not the only one uh, in that uh, odd situation. But we still need to help the younger generation unlearn
2: right, some of the bad habits from their parents and grandparents, right? We still mm. need to give them the, the, the tools and the ammunition they need to succeed in this globalized world. Mm-hmm. because every time I launch these young entrepreneur programs I always ask them who are the entrepreneurs that you respect and there's usually the, always the same names yeah. the three names are always number one Bill Gates number two Steve Jobs and number three Aliko dongote and sometimes when I'm with people who are into tech they might uh, mention Mark Zuckerberg mm-hmm. so you have you know, three Americans and one Nigerian, but they never ever mention any French-speaking Africans, or actually, not even any French-speaking people. Period. Period. <laughs> that region, and this it leaves us some hope, and uh, and we hope the youth is uh, gonna try to shift. But I want to double-click on what you said about risk-taking, because I think that's the key to understanding why so few people are willing to take risks in mm-hmm. francophone countries. It's because when you start a company and it goes belly up. It's a very, very difficult to get a second chance. Whereas in the English-speaking world, you can start a company and fail and start a second startup and fail, and you'll still keep getting new chances because a lot of investors, a lot of backers, know that you hopefully will have learned from your past mistakes. My first venture failed after a year. It was a magazine that I started with my cousin, and it stalled after a year and folded. But I learned from that, and six months later, I launched Trace, which ended up becoming a big success. Yes. But the only reason Trace became a success was because I had learned from, from the lessons, the lesson, lessons from mm. the very first failure. Whereas mm. I don't think I could have done that in Paris. I don't think I could have done that in Lomé. I don't think I could have done that in Abidjan. I don't think I could have done that in Dakar.
1: Super, super. So the, the, the takeaway, learn to take some risk. When you take some risk, you learn some lesson. When you learn some lesson you open yourself to a path of success, or great success, and yeah. also open su- your mind.
2: Open your mind, but also surround yourself with like-minded people who are also in that success mindset. Mm. Because the other thing I experienced when I was telling people in France mm. that I wanted to launch a television network, like, you'll we'll never launch a television network, right? Because they weren't in that success mindset. They were very much in a scarcity mindset because they'd never seen a black person in France launch a television network. And this is what I had to face. Whereas in the English-speaking world, whether it was London or here in New York, people were always encouraging me because the bigger the dream, yeah, the more right. people rally around you because they want to see black people succeed. They want to see young people make a difference.
1: Wow. Now this, is, uh, this is music to my ears. And uh, as this becomes very good advice for the youth, what would you? give us an advice to young Claude, 18-year-old, if you had a chance to speak to him in two minutes? That's a a really difficult, extremely important question, Mm -hmm.
2: and I would say that I would give young Claude a piece of advice which would be around not being as polite, not worrying so much about what other people think, and truly speaking his mind. Because Mm -hmm. the way that I was raised in Togo and the way that a lot of young Africans are raised is that you're not supposed to speak your mind you always have to listen to elders because they know best and as a young person you don't know anything and because i was raised in that way in a very conservative african family sometimes i disagreed with things that i saw Mm. but i was too polite and i did not really express my views because i didn't have the confidence to express my views because of the way that we're raised and this kind of self-censorship is Mm. something that held me back and that's one of the reasons I got into mm-hmm. media, and I created my own media platform so that I could
1: express my own views without anybody censoring my opinions. Mm. Powerful advice. Powerful advice. How? What do you think is the biggest misconception people have about Claude, and why do you think that is? I think some people
2: believe that I'm transactional, that I'm very much focused on transactions. And that's because the Harvard Business School case study that was written about me that is now, you know, studied at business schools all over the world, has a part that is very much about uh, me choosing to cut certain people off if I didn't feel that they reciprocated. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I've dealt with every time I've spoken about that case at various business schools, you know, whether it's in France, in London, uh, Stanford, Columbia University, Harvard, everywhere. I always get asked that question about why are you so transactional? And I always have to explain that I'm actually not transactional, but I'm actually about building authentic long-term relationships Mm. and transactions are just a byproduct of actually uh, building relationships that are Mm. lasting
1: uh, for the long term. Mm. That's very clear. So there's a quote that says the musician has to make music, the painter, has to paint, the writer has to write. What is it that Claude needs to do to be? Well, initially,
2: I always saw myself as a writer because when I was 15 years old, I was studying at a Catholic boarding school outside Paris. And my French teacher, my French language teacher, said, you're a writer. And those words totally changed my life because that gave me the confidence to realize that I was a writer. But as I established myself as a writer, as a journalist, as an editor, as a media entrepreneur, I realized that I could be much more than a writer. Mm. And now I'm not going to be ashamed of saying that I want to become more of a renaissance man. I want to be Mm. somebody who dabbles in various industries, but I've had this clear focus my entire adult life, which has been about promoting better images of black people and people of color, Mm. and now creating more economic opportunities for people of color, specifically black people, so that we can benefit
1: from economic mobility um, and actually start rising up the ladder as well. That's a fantastic being. Wonderful congratulations, my brother. As a separating words, I would like to hear from you. You've given us a clear indication of your mentor it would influence you. Is there another individual podcast book? That you think has had the biggest influence into having you?
2: Yes, there's a book that I always talk about, mm-hmm. and it's a book by Daniel Kahneman, which came out 12 years ago. It's called Thinking, Fast and Slow. I love that book. Yeah, you know that book yeah. right Daniel Kahneman, mm-hmm. and it, that really that book changed the way I think Change about decision of making. Of my decision yeah. making. Yeah. And as a result of that, I never schedule any important meetings right before lunchtime. <laughs>
1: And those who want to understand why you read that book, thinking fast and slow, we will make sure that's in the show notes. That is an excellent book and an excellent recommendation. It's actually in this bookshelf too. So thank you so much, Benny. This was a great time. having you. Wonderful. Keep up the great work. Thank you. You too. Very proud of you. you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Silverbacks Valley. For more episodes around founders building dominant platforms from Africa to the rest of the world. You can follow us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on and AudioMac. Tune in.